Today on our show, we missed you guys last week, so today it is a Fargo doubleheader. Watch us get excited and then watch us get sad as we discuss Season 3, Episode 5, The House of Special Purpose, and Episode 6, The Lord of No Mercy. Stay tuned. You're tuning into the destination for TV superfan discussion, After Buzz TV. And now, let the buzz begin. I must be a hell of a man. Yeah. Oh boy, we got a lot to talk about. <laughs> we got a lot. I, I, sorry, guys, for missing last week. It's been big old snafu. We've been busy. We've been. I've been reenacting the uh, the Mars landing. Is that where so, you were? Yeah, when you in a see, warehouse. Yeah. yeah. So when you see the upcoming Mars landing, it's uh, it's me. It's Dave Child. It's me. All right. A warehouse in in Burbank. Okay. That's, that's where I was. It's good to know. I'm glad that you tipped me off to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but keep it hushed. Don't tell anyone. Joe, it's only you guys listening to this after hush, show hush. that know the truth about the upcoming Mars landing. It is in fact yeah. Dave Child. I am Lex Michael. I'm all over social media at the Lex Michael, and I'm here with. I'm Dave Child. You can find me at Mr. Dave Child or DaveChild.com. My name's David Child. Uh, Tara wishes she could be here, but she's reenacting another uh, landing of some other planet. Uh, Jupiter. Jupiter. She's, Let's say she's Jupiter. trying to the descend onto the surface planet. of a gas giant. Uh-huh, uh-huh, no one, no uh-huh. one told her, I guess. But you can tell her on social media all over at the Tara Erickson. Yes. We hope to hear all about her space journey when she returns. Also, next week. I am on the chat, so if you're watching this live, chat up with us because we're probably going to miss a few points. So please. Remind us when we move past this, because we're covering two episodes a lot, a lot of stuff, and we're going to be going back into our notes pretty heavily, because yeah. now the way time seems to work in the world today is a week feels like six, seven years. Sure. So we'll be, we'll be, we'll be delving back into my, sure. into my archived material. Uh, in the meantime, as always, guys, uh, follow along in the chat if you're watching us live. If you want to participate in the conversation at another time, use the hashtag on Twitter, ABTV. Fargo, also on iTunes, wherever podcasts are available, you can find us. But on iTunes, be sure to like, subscribe, rate us five stars. Five stars, five stars. Because we think we're great. We hope you do, too. We need those five stars to live. It is is the lifeblood that courses through our veins. It's what we live off of. So, indeed, a lot, a lot, a lot to talk about. And we're going to start with last week's episode. That is episode five, The House of special purpose yes now i did a little bit of research into the title as we frequently do please tell me so check this out according to wikipedia which as we've established is the be all end all one stop for any information you could ever need you don't have to look any further you know it's true yeah so the uh house of special purpose a uh, mm-hmm. couple of things. It is the name of a novel by John Boyne. It's a novel about a young man ripped from a loving home and thrust into the heart of a dying empire. Privy to the secrets of Nicholas and Alexandra, the machinations of Rasputin, and the events which led to the final collapse of the autocracy, Georgie is a witness and participant in a drama which will echo down the century. So is it Russian? It's a Russian oh, novel? Oh, it's super Russian. Check this out. Interesting. It the, the name House of Special Purpose refers to, according, again, to Wikipedia, right. the Ipatiev House which was a merchant's house in Yekaterinburg, where the former emperor Nicholas II of Russia, his family, and members of his household were executed following the Bolshevik Revolution. Right. Um, in the 1880s, Ivan Redikorstev, an official involved in the mining industry, commissioned a two-story house to be built on the slope of a prominent hill. The length of the, of the facade was 31 meters. In 1898, the mansion passed to Sharaviev, a gold dealer of tainted reputation. 
Ten years later, the house was acquired by Nikolai Nikolaevich Ipatiev, a is... military engineer who turned the ground floor into his office. It's, it seems to have been on the base of uh, blah, blah, blah. We're missing a sentence here. You know, we know why you tune into this, and it's for this. All it's this deep cuts, Russian history. Deep Russian history and, and novelization recaps. But anyway, he was eventually ordered to vacate. Uh, he was summoned to the office of the Ural Soviet at the end of April 1918 in order to vacate what was soon to be called the House of special purpose. Okay. Yeah. Thank you thank very you. much. Thank you. So I think the important parts from that is uh, the Bolsheviks, the all the death, a lot of death, <laughs> and the kind of moving into it, with the first thing you very said because I I listened to the whole thing that you just said. oh sure of course you did but the very first thing that you said was someone who moved into like a dying empire and part of being relocated into a new dying empire. Yeah, ripped out from a loving home and yes. thrust into the heart of a dying empire. Yes. Yeah, and I think that dying empire is it just links entirely with Yuri's speech where he talks where he compares Siberia to uh to Fargo or to the uh Minnesota. Yes, we're in yes, Minnesota now. Oh my god. Minnesota um <laughs> uh, the the landscape of Minnesota and what and how Minnesota is not drenched in as much blood as Siberia is, and that's really the only difference. Sure, it seems. And they, he says, like, what do you have? Just a few few Indians that you killed, which is that's putting it lightly, but bit a bit callous. Bit one callous. Might say, one might say. Okay, let's not play the death game. Sure, I guess especially with Russia because they're just going to win every time. But uh, a lot of people died in America. <laughs> couple, it's couple, a, it's on the backs of a lot of unfortunate people. Yeah, so at least, at least uh, one or two. Yeah, at least. So I think that's where what's connecting uh, the the title of the episode is specifically to that, and kind of the um, also a dying empire. I think is interesting to look at too, because that could mean America as a whole could could refer to the Stussy parking lot empire. The Stussy parking empire. Yeah. So that's what I'm considering. So. Let's start in with the Stussy Empire. Well, so right up top, I mean, the very first thing that happened yeah. in this episode, we do get a wonderful introduction. We get that uh, Mac Davis song, It's Hard to Be Humble, which we opened yeah. with. And you get Emmett driving around. He's see- feeling on top of the world. He's doing great. He feels feels peppy. So it's, it's the original sit down, be humble <laughs> yes. as he's driving. <laughs> yeah. But little does he know that his brother Ray and Nikki right. have once again conspired against him. Ray put on the now infamous Emmett wig, and they made a sex tape, which they were going to use. I guess the plan was, if I if I am not mistaken, yeah. to leave it at Emmett's house for Emmett to find, yeah. and then say, if you don't give us what we want, we'll tell your wife. I think that that makes it clear that who left the package was Ray. Like, <laughs> I think that's more Ray than a Nikki move. I feel like it may have occurred to Nikki that more than one person lives at that house. Yeah, yeah. I think Ray is the one that left it because he's the kind of he's the one that's not really figuring out what to do here. Uh, of course, the wife ends up watching it, uh, believes it's it is uh, it is Emmett, and then moves out of the house. Leaves takes the takes the the whole family, the whole unit family. into this vehicle leaves and of course it seems like they named his wife Stella just so he could yell Stella, Stella in a just manner right reminiscent of streetcar yeah but of course now Ray and Nikki have blown this particular grift once again because yeah. they no longer have this to hold over Emmett they also do a good job in this opening scene right now you see what's great about this episode as a whole and what I really love about the Fargo episodes is it does have that six hour movie feel to it mm-hmm 
Um, but each episode is a good contained chapter yes. in itself. So it's let's note that in the beginning of this episode, we see someone who we see Ray hurt the woman that Emmett loves. Yes. And in that same moment, we also have flashbacks to when they're making the sex tape. And it becomes very clear to Emmett and to Nikki that they that they do love each other. I feel like there's genuine love there. And I think we're always kind of talking about whether, like, Nikki really loves Emmett as much as Emmett, or uh, right. Ray, as much as Ray loves Nikki. But I feel like in these two episodes especially, we really do see that there is some sort of affection there. Nikki has been given more than enough incentive to get as far away from yes. all of these people as possible if yeah. she truly didn't care for Ray on some level, I feel. Yeah, we'll get to that in a little bit, but I, I just want to note that we see the uh, loved one of of Emmett's get hurt in the very beginning of this, and the episode ends with Ray's loved one getting hurt. Yes. So, just wanted to note that right here. So, yeah, okay, so we move to the, there's a sex tape, there's a proposal that happens in the middle of the sex tape, which I thought was a great moment. Yeah. Because you also have the, like, oh, no, wait, 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 wait. I'm wearing a hooker I'm wearing, wig. Yes. It's not meant for this. Which makes me feel like it's a genuine affection. Which makes me feel like this is what I've always wanted. I've always wanted to be proposed to. But I, I never really saw it as this. The two of them, for for how hapless the two of them are, Ray in particular, yeah. and, and how... He's the hapless one. Of Nikki course. is, like, conniving and maybe not the most morally centered person. But I think she has some wit about her. Absolutely, certainly more so. Yeah. It seems like every time one of their schemes falls apart a little bit, it is because Ray dropped the ball somewhere. Yes. But it was it was a very cute a very cute scene, and like she takes off the hooker wig because it might be a bad omen of some kind. I yeah. thought it was very nice. Yeah, I thought that was good. It was it was a nice little scene. And then we move, I believe, if I'm not skipping over something, to Varga's confrontation with Sai. With Sai, which. Oh man, I the the interesting dynamic of Sai versus Varga is is really drawing a lot of attention in this episode because one there's Varga is anti-Semitic. He's he's coming in. He's making cracks about. He's making uh, anti-Semitic remarks. He's making cracks about the weight of Sai's wife and basically making it clear, like you say, like there is this. Not even a, a power dynamic push-pull, because it seems like Varga came in and supplanted Psy almost immediately. Yeah. And then, of course, we get this business with, with the, the cup. With the mug. With the mug. Where... Now, I brought up the question. I wanted to make it clear. I believe the order is there is water in that mug when, when we started. Okay. I believe there is water in that mug when we started. Because there are two ways to read it. One. I think so, but I think they were very clear, and I think for the censors, that we see that it's water. And they also make a good point of making drinking water the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. Even though it is just water. Right. But I think that there's water. Because, for one, they can't fill up the mug in the time they gave it to him. But at the time, I don't think Varga filled up the mug himself. I feel like if he if he did, he must have been holding so, it for about four days in anticipation of the moment where he pees inside his mug. And also, there is no way he hydrates that much. No. There is no way that he's able to hydrate enough that he has clear, perfect liquid it's coming unlikely. out of him. I don't, think, I don't think that's true. So I think there was water in that mug. He... Um, he entered the mug 
with the water into it. Entered the mug is a very also, poetic way to put it. Yeah, and Varga had this great, the world's greatest, yeah, thank you, uh, Sluice Friggins on the set, on the um, Sluice chat. Sluice Friggins, that's a great name. Yeah, as reminded that it's the world's greatest dad mug, <laughs> which made it was even better. And, um, and when it, he, Varga does like kind of a little dance, does like a little move that's very jaunty. And there must be a gif of this. It's been a week. There must be a gif of this somewhere oh, by now. Be. And if there's not, please, someone in the chat, gif this for us. Yeah, we're going to find the gif or something. And then he's uh, size forced to drink the mug and drink the water. And it is a very drawn out, dramatic water on face pouring. It was so gross, but it was just clear water. And they did a great dramatic take of that. Uh, Stuhlbarg is a phenomenal actor, and his. Revulsion doesn't even come close. It's like every cell in his body is right. screaming with disgust. Is the the expression on his face? Yeah. And Varga is is the most. Ed, uh, Joe Johnson in the chat said Varga is a disgusting human being. I think he's the most disgusting human. He being. may. They 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 put every disgusting trait of a person and they put it into Varga. Like all of the, you take like a room full of 15, the most disgusting people you can conceive of, yeah. then turn up the heat in that room, all of the sweaty runoff from all of them. And they just collect it. Into and, a tray and bake it. And bake and it into a person-sized tray. <laughs> they bake it. And that's BM Varga. They pop them out. They make sure he eats and throws up a little bit and then that's Varga. <laughs> Also, uh, his fascination with the way that he talks about oh, Sai's wife, that she that he is a fat wife, and that means that she's also That's promiscuous. Right. It was so gross, and it also kind of leaned towards, dude. I think you got some size issues <laughs> because we see him eat and throw up and control his own body, and he sees food as a sense of control. Entirely, sure. how one controls their body, and the way he describes horribly this woman, and the way that because they're fat, they can't control anything that comes into their mouth. That shows that the way he thinks of weight and food, where he's able because he's able to control food and his own intake, he's able to control himself, which is why he's bulimic. Right, which is a nice kind of dive into the character even more. It tracks. The psychology of all of these characters, I think, yeah. tracks incredibly well, even when it's profoundly disturbing, like in the case of Vargo. What I would love, I would love if there was a, like a tie-in, a tie-in book, short, short book, like one of those... Remember when uh, J.K. Rowling wrote the original little Fantastic Beast book? Yeah. Something that big. Like a real small little thing you could pick up, read it in, in a couple hours. But just uh, just a treatise by V.M. Varga outlining his worldview. And it's almost like, oh. almost like a version of The Prince by Machiavelli, but from the point of view of Varga. Oh, I thought you I thought you at first said the little prince. Like <laughs> like the little prince, but with Varga. Also that would be horrifying. It would be horrifying. Book. It would be the most horrifying piece of literature to come out of an American yeah. publishing house maybe ever, and I want it. Right, right. Okay, so let's we gotta keep moving. Yes, so okay, one. after this after this horrific, disgusting meeting, Sai has yeah. another meeting with the widow Goldfarb, who was played by Mary McDonald, which is yes. was wonderful to see her. I think I know her best from Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar Galactica, First Lady of the United States and in Independence Day. Yeah. Yeah, you forgot that, didn't you? I sure did. Yeah, yeah. Huh? She's and then but also the president in in uh Battlestar Galactica. So it was great to see her here and she fit in perfectly and they kind of built up this widow Goldfarb which, by the way, Goldfarb, has that, have we heard that 
that last name before. That definitely rung a bell. If anyone, we didn't have as much time to research this stuff, even though we had two weeks. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's been a crazy If two anyone weeks. recognizes Goldfarb, is that a connection with previous seasons that we're not thinking about? Previous season, uh, the movie, perhaps. It's kind of hard to tell. What, there's all these like last names in the Fargo universe, and we're not following. So please let us know. But she was interesting because we got a sense of her character right away. Yes. That she's able to get this table that's off um, in the middle of a busy restaurant, but yet there's no one within 20 feet of her. And she's able to sit there and kind of pitch this, just buying the whole company. And to Cy, you see the relief on Cy's face. Well, especially when he's like, he knows. And you have to assume that Emmett had to he, he considered for a moment that this is not a good direction to move in but i think emmett is a little bit more naive than sai is yeah sai sees what varga's doing i think sai sees very clearly that the business is going to be pulled further and further away from them right this is an opportunity to sell it away from varga before it's his and it, yeah Okay. All right. <laughs> Is that better for everyone? <laughs> cool. Cool. Um, <laughs> all right. So now I can't read it. Uh, Can I do this? Are we good? Please stand by. Please stand by. Please stand by. Okay, great. We good? Uh, and we're back. We're back. Okay. Okay. So, uh,. Where were we? We had, uh, yes, yeah. So we got a sense of, we got a sense of what, uh, of, of who this widow is and how it's a relief. But I also think that there, it's no way going to work if that ever happened. Because VM Varga has his tentacles so far into the company. How would that even work? I think it's right. just Sai trying to figure out a way out of this. And the relationship between Sai and Varga is Sai is, the right-hand man and Varga wants to just totally replace him again to become the new right-hand man. And I think it's so it's so not a concern of Varga's at this juncture what Psy does. And I think part right. of the scene where the two of them meet and he rubs his his Varga junk inside of Psy's mug. Yeah. The whole point of that is you have no you can't do anything to me, dude. I have you. I own you. Get yeah. used to it. Oh, yeah. I, I just also want to point out the uh, that uh, Goldfarb seems to be the queen of storage. So we also have all these kings and queens that we're playing with, and she seems to be the one, and she wants to buy the whole company, but she also sees that as an extension of her domain, which is storage. She refers to it as yes. like, and she was she was talking about you know we could just buy a few parking lots at a time and expand that way, but we'd right. much rather buy up this entire business, this apparatus that already exists. Yeah, 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 and um, also size. Uh, Size one comet of fornicating with our cookware. Is yes, it's a wonderful, thing. wonderful line. They're, the enemies yeah. are inside our house fornicating with our cookware. Yeah, yeah. So we also, now we got to go to Gloria. Yes. What is going on with Yeah, Gloria, Gloria. and uh, who's our new? Uh, Winnie Lopez. Yeah, Winnie Lopez. They're actually, they're talking to, they're trying to talk to the dumbest cops in the world. 
because the, the world of Fargo is split between the people who are really good at their job and the people that are horrible the with their job. The worst that there is. That there yeah, is. so they're trying to t- talk to these dudes. I can't believe, by the way, Donnie Mashman, the deputy, I cannot believe it took me this long into the season to realize that we've got another Cohen story in which a character named Donnie is constantly out of his element. Oh my god, I didn't even realize I'm, that. I'm ashamed that it took me six weeks. Donnie is out of his element. <laughs> good catch. Yeah. Good catch. Uh, okay, so they're talking to Donnie, who's out of his element. Very much so. And trying to explain exactly what is happening. And the, 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 in the discussion of what's going, kind of going on, we see senses of the themes that keep popping up. Like the discussion with this and with the sheriff, or with the chief, the new chief. Yes, Mo. Yeah. Shea Wiggum. They're always talking about what's factual and the other truth. There's this great exchange with Donnie, I believe, where uh, Gloria essentially says, like, just because you don't like something doesn't make it less true. And Donnie's like, are you sure? Yeah. Yeah, just because it, you don't like it doesn't make it less true. Yes. So that's you get a sense of this this running theme that keeps happening, especially in this episode. They really focus on, like, what happens and what doesn't happen. Well, this episode, no, and, and we'll, we'll get to it, too, the opening of episode six as yeah. well hits this idea right, right, right on the head. This idea that we've been talking about all season about differing perspectives on what is true and yeah. what how these stories we tell ourselves can often become just as true or not as reality. Right. A little later in this episode, uh, when they're talking to Sheriff Mo, uh, he brings up the story of Laura Buxton and her balloon and how when... And I actually have heard this story. There's a This American Life on this story. Okay. I think it's This American Life. Uh, someone could look that up. But it's a balloon is let go with someone's name, with Laura Buxton's name on it. It found return to Laura Buxton so she can track it. And it finds its way to another Laura Buxton. Right. Which is just a coincidence story, and it's because it happened and because it's true. And it's about telling the story and not telling the story. So they bring up another, there's another, it's just like, it could be that simple. It's kind of unclear why he brings it up, but it's a continuing discussion about what narrative means and what the point of it is and whether that actually reveals the truth. Yes, and it. and every time as well, like there's a part of me, and I was I was listening to the story, and I was going, okay, I sort of see well, a connection to the, the Maurice Lafay situation. I think the point is like it's not the other Laura Buxton's balloon; there just happens to be another Laura right. Buxton, so that's why it's happening. But the and the, but the point that he says this is a true story is also going back to our whole theme of Fargo, which is the, what's a story and what's true, right? Um, so. Back to Sai uh, briefly, though he has this exchange with Emmett, where Emmett basically says, "You could take he's taking the shackles off of Sai." Yeah, and we have this moment of like, "What is Psy. that? What does that mean? We're taking Sai's taking Sai's shackles. He's going to go rogue. He's going to go crazy. <laughs> yeah, he, he doesn't. Sai thinks he's rogue and crazy, right? And thinks he can focus on stuff, but it's not. He's not at all. He thinks he can be like a VM Vargo or something, right? And I think he's trying to be intimidating. He calls up Nikki to uh, basically yell at her about this blackmail scheme and she doubles down and she says no now we want twice as much right and Sai says okay well you're gonna meet me in this parking lot and immediately I'm going okay so is this a couple of weeks ago when we talked about episode four I said everything so far has felt 
very uh, inevitable. Coming out of the inciting incident where everybody was, uh, where all the pieces were laid on the table, everything had, had felt inevitable and we were due for a hard left. I assumed this is where we were going to get it. In fact, I feel like in episode five we swerve and we don't get our hard left until... Six. Six. But yeah. I assumed when he said, let's meet in the parking lot, that this was where some version of that hard left was going to come. I don't know. I think it did happen there. I think it did happen there a beat later with Nikki. Like, I think it happened. I didn't mean to say a beat later like that. that, was, that was I cute. meant to say like a moment later. <laughs> oh, jeez. That's horrible. That was. What a horrible play of words I just ooh, fell into. Ooh. But a moment later, I think that is a hard left because it is the four, especially for Nikki. And and for Ray, that side of the story has not encountered this Varga threat. We they've encountered it. Sai and and Emmett has been living with this. They lost their lawyer because of them. Yes, but this is the first time they ever see it. Also, why is Sai saying it's worse than we thought? Because of a cup, <laughs> because of uh, because it was a direct threat to him. Because previously to this, they had lost their lawyer. They know it was him. And yet now it's worse because he put his balls in a cup. It, I could see a couple ways of reading that. One of which is it's one thing when they commit murder. That's something you almost expect from right. a big organized crime enterprise, as, as for all Sinos, this is. But what you don't necessarily expect is dick water. Yeah. And once you see that, it's like, oh, they're, they're, he's just crazy. This right. isn't even about... There's, there was no need for him to do this. Whereas you could argue from Varga's perspective, there was a need to eliminate the lawyer. There yes. was no need for what he did in Sai's office. And now it's like, okay, I can't even begin to predict what this dude's going to do from yeah. here on out. Is one potential way to read it. Then, of course, it's, well, he made me personally drink the dick water. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a personal thing. So, um, also, you get uh, I, before we keep moving on. Before we really talk about what happens in the in the parking lot, um, you also have a conversation between Ray and Emmett that's beautifully synced up. So it's Emmett in his car and Ray in a bus. Yes, and that's yes. a great conversation. You see where they are in each other's lives and in their own kind of existence. That one is able to do it from the luxury of his own car on. What well, looks like a Bluetooth speaker or something, whatever it was in 2010, and then you got Ray on a bus who's screaming like he's a crazy person with other people surrounding him. I like I like that his explanation to everybody staring at him when he gets off the phone is that he's talking That's to his, his mom. mom. That makes it worse. That makes it so much. If worse. If you said brother, I, I think they would be like, "Oh, okay, sure, yeah, could be that could be any number of things." But yeah. mom, yikes! Ugh. Why are you doing that to your mom? <laughs> Um, so another conversation that takes place, too, is one between VM and Emmett. And this conversation takes place, I think, before we see the meeting between Cy and Nikki in the parking lot. Right. Where VM is essentially planting these, these seeds of mistrust, suggesting that maybe Cy is going to take it upon himself to make a move of some variety. Yes. And, two, I think this, this does back up a bit of what Cy was saying, even if Cy himself doesn't realize how right he is when he says this is now so out of hand. I think this speaks to that idea that he's now not only uh, usurping Psy in a position of power uh, at Emmett's side, but also now turning things in such a way that Psy may look suspect. Right. Um, and we also have to talk about uh, 
when size encounter it's size encounter with the IRS guy. This uh, agent Dollard, played by Hamish Linklater, who yeah. uh, we knew all season was going to appear, didn't know in what capacity. We finally get him in episode five. I love that he's also in Legion. He's he's a good Legion crossover. Um, yeah, yeah, he's a good. He looks completely different. He looks on Legion. completely different. I love that he's playing two. Uh, government officials in two Noah Hawley things, but what the government officials look like and act like in both of these are completely different. Yes. Um, he's so mild-mannered in this one, and he's so intense in Legion. And he shows up here because the $10,000 that Ray took from the bank when he was yeah. disguised as Emmett triggered something, I guess, in the IRS office. Trigger alert. The alarm went off, and they went down the IRS pole. And he's... Very mellow, very laid back. He's saying, look, this is just routine. We're not doing a full audit at this point. We just need to ask a couple of questions because this is irregular. Right. But, of course, you don't want an IRS agent snooping around when you've got somebody like the Embarga who's now infiltrated your apparatus and is doing all manner yeah. of shifty things. And to sigh, that means, oh, they're going to look at their books. They're going to be revealed. Everything is going to go downhill. But in reality, Varga has already books prepared. So. And, and I, I love, too, that Emmett is naive enough that he had no clue that there might be fake yeah. books as part of this conspiracy. Right, right. So, um, and I guess we should go back to the to the uh, parking lot. Yeah, we got to go to the parking lot. Yeah, where uh, Nikki encounters for the first time, and this is the first time Nikki or Ray encounter Varga and Yuri and Mimo. Yes, uh, as Sai and Nikki are having this interaction, Yuri and Mimo show up. Yeah. And and this is where the speech happens, where they talk about Siberia. the blood that is in Siberia, and I think that's leading up to blood that is about to be spilt in, in the U.S. of A, which is kind of what happens next when they take out there. I think I've been corrected, and it's a blackjack. I think that's actually a blackjack that he has. Okay, he's carrying his, around. his his whip like his whip like kind of thing that doesn't actually have a whip handle on it. It's just a it's a leather strap that uh, and um, they beat up they beat up Nikki. Pretty, there's no way around it. Pretty badly, and yeah. I thought it was an interesting choice to hold on size reaction. Right, because it's another it's another example of something horrifying that he did not see coming that shows him just how little control he has over any part of this. And I think that was an interesting choice for that reason and also because I think we, we got the idea without the visual of Nikki being badly beaten. I think maybe would have been overkill that yeah. we didn't need. I thought this was maybe a more elegant way to handle it. Yeah, and uh, actually Mighty Man is asking us uh, that I think he's responding to something else that happened in the exchange. We can't follow the entire thing because we're talking but they're they're asking about if uh, this season has violence for the sake of having violence compared to the other seasons, and I felt like uh, it has consistently been violent show, just in very subtle ways. We're seeing the, where this gets most gratuitous are it, are points that you wouldn't think of as gratuitous. Like in just this episode, we have we have the water kind of coming down his face and that's almost more gratuitous than the actual beating that happens at the end yeah i think it's interesting that you could argue 
some of the depictions of violence in seasons past, there have been moments of gratuity, though I think tonally it all fits. But I'm thinking about season two. I mean, we open with uh, Rye killing the people at the diner. It's a violent sequence. We end with this massive shootout at the motel where we see people's heads getting blown off and there's blood going left and right. right. I do think there's been less gratuity in the form of physical violence or the depiction of physical violence in this season, but we make up for it due to the presence of Varga and, for example, these close-ups on his teeth while he's, like, jamming a utensil in That's there. That's next episode. Yeah, but so but. I think we're getting we're getting the same, ugh, but from yeah. a different direction. So that's where it ends, and it also ends with a really weird shot that almost seemed like it was more from Legion than it was from Fargo. Of It's very brief, and I feel like you can almost miss it, of a wolf mask. The wolf. Which we see in episode six. Yeah, in episode six, we actually see that the that Yuri has a wolf mask. And what is it? It is a mask, right? Like, it, or a wolf head of some sort. Yeah. So he has it, but we see it very briefly at the end, and I think that's reminding us of the Peter and the Wolf story, and how Vian Varga is the wolf. And keep in mind the other characters. So, okay. Moving into episode six. Yes, the last thing that happens in five, of course, is that Ray finds Nikki in the bathtub. Yes. Having been badly beaten. I wish I also note that the Nikki Psy encounter was without Ray's knowledge. That was Nikki trying to get this matter done and trying to be the uh, brains of the operation. So meeting without Ray's kind of um, brother feud kind of getting into this. Okay, so... So, episode six, The Lord of No Mercy. Yes. A title which I believe is meant to be read at face value for a couple of reasons. One, the content of the episode itself. Two, I couldn't find too much uh, specific in the way of a reference. Yeah. The way we've been able to with some of these other titles in the past. I'm curious about... Maybe I'll look into this and and update in future episodes if I find anything. But I'm curious if it's a, a reference to opera or, like, the classical music because they seem to talk about that. In this episode, well, a little it, bit, yeah, and we get a reference to V.I.I. Lenin, which of course reminded me of Big Lebowski again. Yeah. There's a scene where Walter's yelling about Lenin, and it's not. Oh, right. And Donnie's going, "I'm the walrus, yeah. I'm the walrus, I'm the walrus," and then Walter screams at his face, "Vladimir Ilyich Ilyanov," which is the same thing that Varga says on the phone in this episode. Right. Oh, good catch. Yes. Yeah, so, nice all right, catch. this okay. we okay. Lot a lot to talk about in this episode before we get to the ending, which genuinely made me upset. Right. Not because I was I thought it was poorly handled. I thought again Did... excellently done as always, but man, like my soul hurts. I have a question because I saw this episode today and I didn't get time to look back at the other episodes. Do most of the episodes start off with the warning that they've changed the names for the living? Yes. And have for the dead. Yeah, that's okay. been something we've been doing since the movie. Yeah, okay. That's what I thought, but at the same time for some reason it resonated more in this episode. And this was before I saw the rest of the episode. I'm like, this is lingering more. And maybe it's just because it's on. It happens so fast. There's no. There's no cold open like there sometimes is, and it goes right into the warnings. The or the this is a story, and also into you're just looking at like a a, a window when we start off. And it, it seems like a very abstract image at first. Yeah. It takes a second. It's like, is this a window? What's happening? And then you see like the sun rises. You see Ray sitting there contemplating what his next move is. Yeah. And you can tell, like, he wants to get... They both want to get some level of vengeance, but they have very different approaches to how to go about doing so. Yeah, yeah. But one of the other first things that happens in this episode is we get uh, some stories 
from BM Varga. Yeah, Varga saying this is a true story. And the so he goes through what are those stories? Lehman Brothers, Lehman Brothers collapsing in two thousand eight. The yeah. second one is this story about how uh, World War One began with uh, Gabriella Princip assassinating the Archduke after eating the sandwich, which I want to note is true. Is that it? is actually true because if you look into it, there's a whole musical about this, <laughs> and that doesn't mean it's necessarily true. But it assassins? is, yeah, or it's so, there's so, actually something I, I forget what, but um. I think it might be just a play I'm thinking of. Someone was telling me about this recently. But World War One was it was a botched uh, assassination at first. So the guy did go and get a sandwich and go chill out, and and Archduke Ferdinand happened to arrive. And because he he failed the first time, he wasn't going to fail a second time. That's all to the mark true. And then the third story is, of course, the moon landing and how it was faked on a New Mexico soundstage. Right. Which is great because it kind of has this two truths and a lie. Or maybe it's also true. Maybe he's saying it's true. Maybe he knows more than we know. And he's lumping this into two stories that we know pretty one that we know for sure is true because we know about the Lehman Brothers uh, 2008 crash. Mm -hmm. That's in the news. Second one is a bit more obscure. But it's history, and it is also true. It just might be one of those that people might watch and be like, wait, but is, was that? I'm not sure. And then the third one, they'll be like, no, I don't think so. Not at all. But, you know, he's he's talking about what narrative is. Well, and he, he, uh, there's that quote, that lesson quote, uh, let each man say what he deems truth and let truth itself be commended unto God. Yeah. And he also says uh, perception of reality becomes reality. Yes. So it's, uh Yeah. He's he's setting up the the idea that the narrative in the end will be different from the narrative that actually was and is happening. Yes. And this seems to happen consistently through the show. And this is all, too, within the context of letting Cy know that they're about to expand the company, something like $50 million yeah. in assets, which, of course, Cy is like, there's got to be a smarter way to do this. That's That's increasing the company by this massive amount in six months the, the amount of debt is crazy and then we get uh this additional wonderful line from varga which i would i would quote if my notes hadn't just <laughs> disappeared on me there they are um it's the line about the shallow end of the pool is where oh, the turds float where the turds float which isn't even true Turds float all over the pool. You'd think. They do float all... If anything, some shallow ends are where the jet is, so it's actually blowing it towards the deep. The point is, the turds are always floating on the top. So if you really want to avoid the turds, you just swim under them. Swim under the turds. Boys and girls. That's the message <laughs> of this episode. If you take one thing away from ABTV Fargo this week, it's swim under the turds, kids. Please. So... Uh, <laughs> Yikes. Uh, so VM, uh, obviously, he's got a plan in place to take care of this IRS situation. Yeah. And I love, oh, this, I love this, scene. this sequence where Mimo comes in in a suit yeah. and mirrors, mirrors him exactly. And all so that he can tell him to go away. Yeah. Yeah. And just be like, listen, look at me. I'm I'm a businessman. I'm a real I'm a real life businessman. And I'm here to tell you that you have to go, that you have to leave. And that was such a funny that was such a funny way of. 
of approaching this. And also, it's a it's a, a form of Mimo we haven't seen before. He doesn't even have his earbuds in. Yeah, this is the, I think one of the first times we've seen Mimo say very much. Yeah, he's usually someone who looks like he's disinterested, not paying attention to anything until you realize he's listening the whole time, and then he brings out a gun and points it at your face. Yes, that's kind of who he is. But it seems like through through approaching it the way they did, we're now in a situation where we're not going to be bothered by the IRS for probably at least a month. And then we'll continue to cross those bridges as needs be. Yeah, and just kind of kicks them out. Um, then we go into Ray and Nikki. Who follow uh, Mimo yeah. to this lot where Varga's truck house place is. And they see Varga. And what I find interesting is Nikki figures out everything. Pretty much immediately. In this episode, and in this scene, and the next scene. She's able. She sees Varga and says, "Ooh, a third fella. He may be the head honcho." So she gets it. She kind of knows what's going on. In the next scene, uh, she is icing her wounds, which are really pretty bad. And um, we have a great line that seems to be another reference. Someone tweeted this at us as uh, earlier. Which I gotta find who tweeted this. But uh, Ray, when she's explaining what exactly is happening. Uh, at one point, Ray says, so you're saying is, what are you saying? Yes. Which is a reference to uh, the Fargo, the initial I would assume Fargo. From, from the, that did, and the, another, uh, there's a You Betcha line somewhere, yeah. I think, that got tweeted at us, which is another direct pull from the movie. Right. I'm going to see who tweeted at us, but we'll keep talking. Uh, so shortly after this, and they have, uh, as, as you point out, Nikki does put the pieces together in relatively short order. And Scott Sheriff, by the way, said, Scott. so you're saying what you're saying, definitely uh yeah, a reference. Okay. So Nikki figures everything out in fairly short order. Again, she is the considerably more clever of the two. And yeah. Ray is ready to, I guess, go over and shoot some people or something. I don't know if he has a plan as such. Right. And Nikki says to him, no, there's a smarter way to play this. I want revenge, maybe even worse than you do. I like that she says maybe even more than you do. Yeah. It's like she's the one that got beaten, you'd think, if anything. Yeah. But that was interesting. But she says there's a smarter way to play this. Yeah. Let's not attack it quite this brazenly. Yeah. So they do not. We see VM Varga next as a as oh I referred God, to this, this, this is the worst scene. Horrific. And again, this is why I'm thinking I don't think the violence this season has been very gratuitous at this all. Has but been we gratuitous. get right this same like visceral. Oh oh. oh I don't oh. think anyone kept their eyes open during this entire scene. Did and they? It's, like it's all seemed designed. Every element, every element seemed designed to provoke a, a feeling of disgust in the audience because it's not just the visual of him jamming this utensil at his teeth. Yeah. It's not just the visual of the teeth. It's that you hear his breathing. You hear his, like... Yeah, and you see that it's, like, making his gums bleed, and he just looks so disgusting. And then from that from that point of view where we're inside his head and also seeing his his teeth, his unfortunate teeth... Um, we also see uh, Gloria and oh, I keep Winnie. Forgetting, Winnie coming in into the office, and uh, but we don't hear them. The sound design is so good in this scene. So the sound design in Fargo is great. It's it's awesome. And I feel like I notice sound design a lot more than I feel like other people pay attention to it. Yeah. So every time, I'm glad you said that, because every time somebody brings up sound design, I'm like, yes, let's talk about how beautiful this sounds. Yeah, yeah. And you hear, you're hearing it from inside his head because you still hear the breathing. You don't hear what uh, the two policewomen are talking about or saying to Emmett, 
we just hear his breathing and he just sees them walk and it makes him incredibly wolf-like it makes it, it bringing back to that wolf imagery where he just seems like an animal just watching these people and watching his prey yes kind of walking in there and then he follows them right into and just enters into the office and this is the first time that gloria and vm varga have met yeah of course she has no idea who he is she says i didn't get your name he says true yeah and uh, varga has so much confidence that he can do whatever he wants that he's not worried about looking suspicious, which he obviously is. Right. He's so suspicious, but he won't give out his name or he won't give out any information about himself. So as long as he remains invisible, he'll be okay. Yes. So Gloria is talking to Emmett about not just this traffic incident with Sai's car, but also about the Stussy homicide. Yeah. Lays out the Ray-Maurice connection. Right. And now Emmett realizes, oh, my brother was, if not trying to kill me, certainly trying to rob me. Yeah, it's actually nice that Emmett doesn't assume it was a hit. Emmett says that, oh, he was trying to rob me. And then you get a sense of, like, he kind of understands who his brother is. Like, he doesn't actually, he doesn't jump to the conclusion that it was a hit. Like, I feel like other people would jump to that, and He's, he doesn't. As we've seen, Emmett is so, so naive. Right. As out of his element as Donnie Mashman, if yeah. not possibly more so, because Donnie's safe at the station house. I do love how um, in this scene, too, <laughs> after they explain it, Varga says his version of the balloon story, where it's just because they have the same name doesn't mean they belong. They have the same balloon, which was Sheriff Mose. His version is there were twenty six Hitlers. Do you think <laughs> in in Germany? Do you think they all had something to with do with the final solution? With the final solution, how horrible! Is it that he refers to it as the final solution? I know that's a saying. That's what it's like. The Holocaust and and what the World War Two was. Uh, what he did in World War Two or right before it was uh, referred to, but no one says the final solution unless they feel like it is the final solution. No, he is so casually anti-Semitic. Yeah. And Thulis, I don't have to sing the praises of Thulis any more than has already been done over and over again, but I will. The dude is so masterful at his craft, and he delivers these lines so yeah. casually that it almost takes you a second to realize how absolutely horrid what he's saying is. Yeah, yeah. And that's his, that's his version of the balloon story and what what uh, stories mean and what narrative means. He's even putting it into this little interaction with with the policewoman. Yes, so after this meeting, of course, as Varga is wont to do, he goes back to his little truck lair yeah. and starts Googling them. And of course, as we predicted... This is where her superpower kicks in. Yes, her lack of any relationship with technology yeah. is up to this point and into this episode now shielding her from Varga's heretofore all-seeing eye. Right. And he searches the police station where she works, and there was that conversation earlier about it being a fairly antiquated station, about it not having too much in the way of a computer setup, so he can't tap in and survey them that way. So he has to send Yuri, and this is where we see the wolf head, has to send Yuri over yeah. there to he find the He casually has a wolf head in his, in his lap. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that he's going to send Yuri to go... Uh, uh, essentially reconnoiter and to get some information about this Stussy murder. Right, right. Because they have to actually go get the office, uh, they have to go get the records at the Yes, you need a hard copy itself. because they don't have it backed up into their into their computer system. Right. And I like that Yuri says, he asks him uh, loud or quiet 
basically like how messy do you want this to be and Vargas like yeah. no this is quiet it's fine quiet. just go get the go get the thing he wants to remain as invisible as possible and himself of, yeah. yes and of course now too while all of this is going on the decision has been made that Ray and Nikki have to be dealt with so that yeah. while Yuri goes and tracks down this information that leaves Mimo to deal with one or both of them yeah and they're still at Ray's and of course Glory and Winnie come looking for them at Ray's and we get this sequence of uh, Ewan McGregor as Ray trying to duck around his apartment to avoid their gaze for a moment I was wondering if he didn't know it was the police and if he was going to try and take a shot at one of them thinking that it was someone there sent to kill him well also right now I don't think they trust anyone right and I don't think they would trust the police or they also wouldn't they also know that the police going after them is also a pretty bad sign because they did kill someone yes yeah yeah, so Can't forget about Maurice. No. So the two of them flee, and they check into the Ambassador Motor Inn. Yeah, it looks familiar, right? I, I'm not, I couldn't have been the only one to think this, and I looked at one or two recaps, and at least one other writer caught it, that it looks very similar to it the looks, motel from the end of season two. Yeah, and I think that was so on purpose, because it not only is it kind of a nice nod to season two, but I think it in season two... We had very climactic moments happen at that hotel. So we're kind of expecting to see him again once we're back at a very similar, if not the same, motel. Yes. Th- this, there's no, in my mind, no way that this is an accident or uh, yeah. a coincidence. This show is far too detail-oriented. Holly is far too meticulous for this to be an oversight or a goof of some kind. And also, I don't think we pay uh, as much attention um, as the relationship with Mimo and... What's his name from with the bunny from the from the season two? Do you remember him? Who was like the big? He was the big killer. Bear? He was uh, he was Native American. Oh, Hanzi. Hanzi. Yeah, Mimo and Hanzi are very similar uh, like characters in a lot of ways because they're kind of both silent. They're others in the universes. You have one who's Native American, and then you have another person who's Asian. Sure. And referred to as an Oriental of some sort in in this episode with Nikki's recap, which is like you know you can she's she's suffering from being beaten almost beaten near to death by him. So, but uh, she the, there are others who are quiet and are kind of uh, and are have are very violent, but in this very kind of quiet subtle way. So the fact that he shows up at the motel is very similar to Hanzi showing up at the motel in season two. Sure. Which was uh, who was there to also kill um, uh, Christian Dunst and and that character in that in that scene. So it seems like it's heading down a similar path. Right. Now, of course, we'll get to how it doesn't quite go in the direction we think it will. Right. And part of why that happens is in their haste to get out of Ray's apartment, he left their getaway money. Yeah, they need that money. They're not going to get very far without it. They can't oh, use their right. cards. Their cards are trackable. And can you? Uh, before we get into the next sequence, which right. genuinely just—it's like I actually still feel sad about it. Um, any number of things could have happened differently. Now it's possible that if Ray hadn't forgotten that money, they'd both be dead. That's true. That's true because they they do have a killer right outside their door. I also love uh, how when Ray leaves and says, "Don't worry about it," and he shows his gun, it's right at the door. So it's like, "Don't worry about it. I have a gun." See the entire world. Hello. Hi. I have a gun. 
Um, well, I'm also going too. When he left with the gun, I was thinking to myself, "You must be real confident. No one followed you there because you're now leaving Nikki completely unprotected completely in this motel alone. room." Yeah. And I'm surprised that, I guess the the need to get that money supersedes the potential jeopardy that Nikki is in being there by herself. But I was almost a little surprised that she didn't consider that or acknowledge it out loud. Well, in a way, I think she might have. In kind of a gut sense, I think that's why she said, do you want me to go with you? Because I do think that she, I don't think in a... Uh, I think she wasn't thinking out loud about this. I think it was just a gut sense that I shouldn't be here alone. Right. I should go there. But she also was, you know, hurt right. in a lot of pain. But imagine, too, if she had gone with him, they might both be alive. That's very true. That would actually be what would have saved them is if they both went. Because what we see happen... Maybe, because then you also might have Mimo follow them. What we see happen in uh, one of the most fantastically executed yet crushingly depressing scenes of the oh entire series thus far what's yeah so what let's set this up because ray goes back into the apartment and we find emmett and emmett's there because he paid we find out he paid the mortgage he has, of course he has a key yeah of course he has a key and um they have a they have a conversation that's very similar to the conversation they had outside of emmett's emmett's house in a previous episode where it feels like they're almost on the brink of talking themselves into understanding one another and apologizing. It almost feels like it's going to be able to reconcile. And it it gets to the point where they can almost walk away happy and then because Emmett brings to, out... He wants to end this, right? Like, he wants like to end saying, it. He, doesn't, he talks about nobody dislikes him in yeah. his in his estimate for all we know there are plenty of people dislike him but in his view of the world yeah people don't dislike him the only person who dislikes him is his own like i might cry talking about this it's his own flesh and blood and he's yeah. tired of fighting and he just wants it to be over and i think what you were about to say is he brought ray the stamp yeah he brought him the stamp he wants he just wants to bury this he wants yeah. us to be we want i want us to be brothers i want us to be a family let's please put please put this behind us and you see a lot of you see in an earlier episode when he's talking to Sai about whether he should give the stamp or not you get a sense that he really could have given the stamp over a lot earlier mm -hmm. like it could have been an easier way of 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 doing this and it's and then it would have saved a lot of the problems but then what happens is machismo gets in the way. He just, he just, Ray can't let it go. Yeah, and he this just can't let it go. Rivalry and comparison and and envy and and that kind of masculine kind of flame that's under their relationship kind of bubbles up. And they start and they start fighting. They start shoving each other and they start pushing this big frame with these this big glass front yeah. on it back and forth giant glass for a stamp this big so in its it the frame in itself is is way is way more than what needs to be for the stamp so what also literally what would have saved ray's life is if the stamp less, had a frame a about this big frame, yeah. yeah or if the stamp had a frame this big yes it didn't need it doesn't need to be this giant frame that's showing off this tiny syphilis 
syphilis. Sisyphus. This tiny syphilis. Stamp. Tiny syphilis stamp. Sisyphus. This happened last but season. That is, but that is so about the, the myth of syphilis. But yeah. it that is so in line with Emmett's character as well that he'd have this almost needlessly showy frame yeah. for this prized possession of his. Yeah. And so because of that showiness and the fact that Ray won't just take it, they won't just shake hands, they won't just say, hey, we're we're fine. They're shoving back and forth until it just breaks on Ray's head. And you know, you know before you know what happened. And again, this is right. masterful uh, filmic storytelling. You know before this ultimate reveal, once that glass breaks, something is deeply wrong. Yeah. Deeply wrong. I can't... See now, yeah, and also the death—the death of Ray in the scene was also a little exploitive. It's maybe one of the most. This was. This is maybe the most violent. This is certainly. If we're going to talk about the violence on the show, or the I would gore. say maybe the this most is gory. Definitely the most yeah. red. I think we've gotten certainly this season. Yeah. Because you see, you see it in his this neck. massive piece, and Emmett tells him not. To pull it out, Don't and pull Ray it out. is just not. Ray's just not very smart. It's so. It's actually he's also the, not going to listen to his brother. No, I know, but he's just not. He. It could be. It could be Hitler himself saying this to you. If you have a big piece of glass in your neck, I don't care how much you hate the guy. Yeah. Don't don't pull it out. Uh, and if if Ray was a little smarter, he might still be alive. They maybe could have gotten him. Now, yes, if he goes to a hospital, the police will find him, right. and that's not what he wants either. But he might still be alive. Yeah, and he pulls it out, and it's dude, it's hard. Am I crazy? I found this sequence to be absolutely emotionally devastating, as Ray begins to bleed out and then falls, and then Emmett watches helpless as his brother bleeds out yeah. on the floor. And he just bleeds out, and he doesn't know what to do. And it was, I got a sense that Ray was doomed from two episodes ago. When was the when was the Peter and the Wolf episode? That was two, I believe. Two episodes ago. Yeah, and um, because that was say, setting up who each character was, and you got to remember that Ray was the duck. Yes. And then the story of Peter and the wolf that we talked about in predictions, Varga, who was the wolf in Peter and the Wolf, uh, eats the duck. And I kind of knew Ray was going to be killed. <laughs> but I didn't know when, and I also wasn't quite sure how tight to that story they were going to be. Right. Um, so because the wolf, the wolf doesn't get him. Well, the wolf may have gotten him, but the wolf doesn't get him directly. Yeah, certainly. it doesn't happen as you really thought that he was just going to be assassinated by Varga. But in a way, because of Varga's involvement, because of all of the story, it's like you think the wolf is Varga, but kind of the wolf is the whole situation kind of happening. Sure, and so it kind of does end up getting him. I think you could say. Um, but I also expected Nikki to, to head out because that's what the cat does. I thought Nikki was going to book it. And well, maybe she, she can now. Maybe she has. Because when She's it not going to have the money. Yeah, but when it goes back, she already she she does sense that something is wrong in her hotel room. Well, this also struck me as a little, especially for Nikki, who is the far more calculating of the two of them. You must be real confident that nobody followed you to this motel to leave your room. I get you need ice. I get that you're in a lot of pain. Yeah, that's not a smart. I don't. I don't think not it's a confidence. I think it's. I think it's desperation. Sure. And I also think that she didn't want to lock herself out, so she kept the the door open. Right, but it's like I wouldn't even. Why even leave the room? Because she would if 
Emmett doesn't call Varga. Yeah. And Varga doesn't presumably call off Mimo. Right. She's she's dead because she left that room. Yeah, and they really did. They were setting up the idea that Nikki was going to be the one to get killed, and then it was kind of a, the twist was Ray, but they had foreshadowed that Ray was going to get killed at some point. So what does Emmett do? He calls up Varga. Yes. And then when Varga shows up, he shows up with Mimo. So still no Yuri, because Yuri's off, presumably heading towards the, the Eden Valley yeah. police station. And I assume we're gonna we're gonna catch up with Yuri next week. Yeah, let's save that for predictions. But um, in this in this uh, at least what's happening here is uh, also when Varga shows up, uh, Emmett says he didn't hear him come in, and then he says I'm I'm invisible. He basically says he's invisible, so kind of going back to the theme of being invisible and being able to do stuff because you're invisible. And they set the scene, and as he's looking at a frame, he decides to literally frame uh, Nikki. Nikki. And I do think it's interesting, too, that Emmett calls Varga immediately. Yeah. To me, this indicates even more fully how entirely Varga has now usurped Psy. Yes, and how uh, and how Varga has wormed his way into into uh, Emmett's world. Because so, I think he should have just called the cops. He should have just, like... Because I think at worst it would have been manslaughter. Because it was legitimately an accident. It was, but it's hard to prove that. It's going to be hard to prove it. Absolutely. Because he could have just attacked him with the with the, with the frame, and then that's, that's how it gets stuck in his And head. especially now that Gloria and, by extension other law enforcement now know what Ray tried to do to Emmett it, it, it's not a good look it's not a good look even if it was entirely accidental yeah. that now Emmett has quote unquote killed his brother right right. so they're setting up that I guess that they, I mean it, the way they set up Nikki makes sense because they did beat her up in a way that it would hide her bruises. And the story's going to be that Ray was beating her, and one day she just had enough. She just had enough and decided. Now, my question is where, is, where are they going to say the glass came from? Or are they going to, because they said leave the glass. Yes. Pick up the frame, take the stamp. Leave the glass. Leave the glass. So they need to come up with um, a source of the glass, or Gloria is going to figure this out. Well, it seems the way we end things it seems like she may be about to figure some stuff out regardless almost right away because but yeah before before we get to this this last note that we end on they tell Emmett it's like where are you supposed to be right now and Emmett says it's a, it's a dinner it's a dinner slash meeting right. seems a bit confused um, and a dinner meeting Vargas says you're gonna go you are going to enter from the back of the restaurant. You're going to go to the bathroom. You're going to wash your face and your hands with cold water. That way, if anybody sees you, they won't be able to time your arrival. Yeah. And I, I guess Emmett's going to go, and he's going to trust that Varga will take care of the situation. Right, right. And so the question is, maybe, so what we have going into next week, I didn't get to see the next week on. Did you see the next week I on? actually end up not... I don't see any of them. Okay. So All I right. have no clue what exactly we're going to be so seeing. So neither of us saw the next week on, so you guys might have a little bit more knowledge of what's happening next week. But the week. very last thing that happens in this episode yes. is Gloria driving. We can Maybe she's driving home or back to the station, and she yeah. decides, screw it, and she turns around. 
and she's going to head back towards Ray's. Right. While this cover-up is, is currently in progress. So these are this is what next week we have set up. We have uh, Gloria driving back to Ray's. Also uh, phoned Winnie ahead and said that she's going there as well. So Winnie might join her there. I'm scared for Winnie. Yeah, I'm super scared for Winnie. We don't know enough about Winnie, and it feels like she's uh, perishable. So I hope I hope not, but I do I do fear for her. We also have Yuri going to the uh, Eden Valley Police Station. So I fear for Donnie. <laughs> um, not so afraid of Sh- Sheriff Mo. But, you know, Donnie's there, and he's out of his element. As, as depicted, if something happens to Sheriff Moe, you uh, hesitate to say he had it coming, but if anyone no, in, that, if any gonna of be these like, characters, yeah. He's going to be like, oh, that's a shame. He's going to be that guy. He's like, oh, that's a shame. But not, like, not heartbreaking. Um, <laughs> but, uh... So that so she might have actually saved herself by turning and going towards Ray, because she's good point. Because for all we she know, she could have been going to the station where Yuri is presumably. Yuri's going, and you know, I think Yuri's just going to break in and steal some records. He was told to do it, told to do it quietly. Told to do it quietly, so don't kill off the entire police station. Bad which luck. Is, I think would be the loud. That's very, also very season two. That whole standoff at the police station. Yes, that happened. Are we? Should and they we, don't have we, Nick Offerman just come save the day like like in season two. Every season of every show needs some Nick Offerman. Just get him in like old old man makeup. Yeah, he might still back. be alive. He might still be kicking around. Um, so should we? Since we, we're traipsing over that line anyway, shall we move into predictions? Yes, I think so. Ooh, spooky. And now your After Buzz TV predictions. So we've only got four episodes left. Yeah. That doesn't seem like a ton of time. No, it doesn't. But they, they are uh, quite the economical storytellers over at Fargo. Yeah. What do you think these last four episodes may entail? Ooh. Uh, well, I'm curious. I think, for one, the story at the end of the season that everyone thinks has happened isn't going to be what actually happened. Sure. If that makes sense, I think that tracks because they're they keep setting that up, and so I think it's going to be this interesting feeling of the story's going to be wrapped up, and there's going to be nothing more that they can do. But everyone's gonna the newspapers and the police and everyone except maybe Gloria um, is going to think that what happened is different from what actually happened. Yes, uh, the the lie or the legend will become fact. As yeah. it were, and the legend will be printed. And I do think it's interesting because we're in 2010 in this story, more far more so than any other. Era. We're not. Uh, when when was the massive social media explosion? Was like a little bit. After that was that, definitely wasn't it? a little before that. But I we're would still say. in an era compared to the previous seasons of this show, where now yeah. information, true or fallacious, this will travel still... a lot faster and a lot more widely. Yeah, Facebook has, I think, become public at this point and out you'd of. Think I, rem- I lived through these years. You'd think I would remember them. Yeah, more but clearly. It's, it's hard to know because uh, I got Facebook when I was in college, and then that was like when Facebook first started. Right. And then it became only college students were on Facebook, and then it became like public, and then everyone then you're mom could be on it and i think we're at the point where your mom could be on it yes and um and so everyone's starting to kind of be on their phones and exist in their phones which we see in that one la scene where she where gloria's at the diner and we see everyone on their phones except for her so i think something is going to be spread virally a story that everyone's going to believe and it's not going to be true yes 
which makes me think that maybe Varga's basically going to get away with it. But I'm not too sure. We're going to find out. Um, and uh, I also think next week that they might have to rush the cleanup job because of Gloria showing up. I think she's still going to survive and be okay. But I think they're going to rush it. And so she's able going to be able to maybe figure out maybe where did that glass come from. Right. She's not very sure. And yeah. Yeah, it feels like we did take a, a bit of a break from Gloria these last couple of weeks. She's been we spent a lot of time with her in the couple of weeks prior, and then we shifted our focus back to the Stussies and Sai and yeah. Varga. So I'm now that we're down a Stussy, I'm ex- we're down a Stussy, we're down a, another Stussy this year. Uh, I would like to see Gloria now really start she because she knows what's going on. She doesn't know one hundred percent what's going on. But she now knows what's going on. And I think as soon as she gets back to Ray's apartment, I agree with you. I think she's going to be tipped even further. Varga may be able to do a bit of a song and dance to get himself out of that situation that day. But she's seen Varga once. Varga's given her plenty of reason to suspect him of any number of things. Yeah, uh, Gold Money has this great idea. uh, Because we've, he's, he, uh, or she... Was talking about how they're in both invisible, and we both know that they're invisible, and we've been talking about that. So it, he says, or she says, Gold Money says, I could see some weird situation where Varga and Gloria are in one room, but they can't see each other, even though they are there. Now he's then he go uh, now they go on to say, in my mind, that's on the Fargo realism level, like the UFO and the fish rain from the previous seasons. That's true. We have we haven't gotten our fish rain or UFO yet. That's true. We did get the the animated robot business. Yeah, but, but that's that was not. Re- yeah, it was a step removed from our reality. Yeah, that's not our design. mystical realism. That's right. not like. So we do have to get that still, um, and usually that comes at the climax or around the climax, and it kind of affects how the story wraps up in yes. some weird way. Um, so that's going to come. But I also think that that could happen without it being weird. I think it could happen just because they're in a room and they don't see each other, or one sees one and the other one doesn't see that person. So it is you get the sense of invisible, or they have one scene where one sees uh, where Gloria sees Varga, but Varga doesn't see Gloria, and then they have another one where it's the opposite. I could see all that happening. I would I would find it very interesting. It's I guess you can take this idea that we've been playing with all season so far, make it a little more literal, and yeah. I would love it if as you say Gloria is the only other character that has been depicted as invisible in some way right I would be very tickled to see Varga's ultimate weapon of invisibility turned on him ultimately and that if there is an undoing for him for that to be how yeah yeah I hope she just doesn't get involved in a chase where she has to run into a supermarket because then she'll be doomed doomed those those doors just can't see her and also i do have to note that those doors they might be our ufo of this season sure the the doors might already be our fish rain and ufo they might not get crazier than that i could see it happening that way so we'll see we'll see if there's a big a big set piece in the penultimate episode based around doors not opening for gloria we will have our confirmation yeah but at the same time it doesn't necessarily need to be a big set scene. Sure. I could see them taking a step back going, we went real weird with UFOs. 
let's go back and surprise them by not putting anything in there except for that whole door thing we kept putting in. And that would actually track with this season so far feeling a lot smaller in scope than certainly last season, which yeah. had a very epic feel to it. This whole story feels a lot smaller, a lot more intimate, more contained. So it would yeah. track more than something on the scale of a UFO or frogs raining would. Right, because that had a whole mafia family that had like a whole compound that had all that stuff and this has uh, one quiet um, I- invisible person with two goons and it just seems like yeah they're going in another direction and a brother fighting yeah yeah so we we will see there are four episodes left and we will be here for four more weeks talking about yes. these episodes. One week an episode. It's, <laughs> we yes. promise. Yes, we are back. We are back on track next week. Tara will be back with yes. us. In the meantime, you can follow her all over social media at the Tara Erickson. And until we reconvene, Dave, if you have no final thoughts, where can all of these fine people find you on the internet? You know what? I'm going to tell you. You can find me at mrdavechild or davechild.com. And if you Google Dave Child, I promise I won't give you a virus. And I won't throw you out of a parking lot. So. I promise. Yikes. And I am Lex Michael. I am all over social media at the Lex Michael. I'm feeling uh, moderately less secure than I was just mere moments ago. Cool, 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 cool. And we will see you guys next week. We're going to talk about more Fargo. We love you. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Wolfman. The views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.